0: It is good. Uh, just before I introduce myself, um, just during the worship, I really had a sense of God breathing His breath on over us as we worshipped, and I was like, God, what's what, what are you? What are you trying to show me? What, what are you doing? And you know, church is a weird place. Like you look around, like I know there's a Latvian there, I know there's some Belarusians there, I know there's some Polish people there, and in other places, there's like. Venezuela, I'm going to go, not Colombia, it's the other one. Um, You know, we're all from different places, different places around the world. And church is this wacky place. The church is this wacky place where people who've got nothing in common get united together by the love of Jesus. And as he was just breathing his breath over us as we worshipped, I felt like he was saying his joy and his pleasure that the way you guys have built relationship. And the way you've built church based on relationship. I had dinner last night with some of your leaders. And just seeing the, just the affection that they have for one another. And the way that you know, you've built this community. It, that's what the kingdom is, is like. The kingdom of God is built on relationship. It's not a function. It's not a... And even, you know, listen to you guys. You know, and the way... It, like like uh, Neil said, it's we... It's not, this is what I'm doing. This is. It's we, what we together. That's the way the kingdom of God works. So I want to encourage you to, uh, just to give yourself fully to the relationships that you have here. Go out of your way to go across the room and minister to, and, and just be friends, not even minister, but just have them around for dinner. Be friends, like carry their burdens. The person that, doesn't speak the same language as you naturally doesn't have the same interests doesn't like understand why you do things the way you do that's the thing you discover when you start you know operating in different cultures people do weird things like really why do they do that like i'm from the south i haven't even come up he- i even come up here and go man those people are weird like why do they do that stuff but it's cause god likes flavor god likes variety if he'd wanted us to all be the same he'd have made us all the same but as we get past our boundaries, get past our barriers, our cultural barriers, and live in love, that's how the world knows that there's something different about these. Jesus said, by your love, they will know you're my children. He didn't say, by the miracles you will know. I, I, I want to see more miracles. I'm not against miracles. I love them. But it's by your, by your love for one another. So I want to encourage you. So to the Polish, say, Bogatishtik. To the Belarusians, Slavonoboga, no, that's, that's Bulgarian, Slavoboga, got it wrong. Um, the kingdom of God is a cross-cultural, cross-generational, cross eh, all the boundaries that this world puts in place. It doesn't make sense to the outside world, but when they look in and they see the way you love each other, they go, oh, I want some of that. Okay. Right should really introduce myself, but I felt I wanted to get that out of the way. I said forget, and I felt that that's what the Holy Spirit wanted to say. My name is Paul. Um, I grew up in Kilkenny, which is about, well, the Europeans have built us lovely motorways now, so what used to be a four-hour journey is now, I think you can do our to Kilkenny in about two hours at a stretch if you slow down at the speed cameras. Um, and so I, I grew up there. My mum's actually from the north coast. Um, I grew up Presbyterian. Uh, my mom was a Reformed Presbyterian, so I, I look back and I had an incredible grounding in the Word of God. Uh, when I'm preparing to preach and the Holy Spirit br- uh, brings verses back to my mind, they all come back in the King James and I have to Google them to work out what they are in a, in a translation that I can understand. Um, <laughs> but I had an incredible heritage and, uh, of having the Word of God invested into me. And then over time, I went to London 20 years ago to get away from God. I wasn't a believer. I was like, Ireland was getting a little bit too small. My family's quite large, and they were getting to hear and see too much of what I was getting up to, so that I'll go to London. It's a bigger place, and nobody will know me. And, uh, but God's clever, and uh, he didn't let go of me. He kept after me. I, got, I became a Christian January the 17th, 2000. Some people, it's like, okay, God, I love you. I want to know you. You're amazing. Mine was, okay, God, you win. I'm going to lose my mind if I don't just give in. I was—I remember Friday nights, I pass out of sleep very easily because I had a lot of beer in me. Saturday night, same thing. Sunday night, because I was going to work, no beer. I'll awake half the night, and God would just be on my case, on my case, on my case, on my case. And I know for some of you, you've got family members who don't know God yet. Just keep praying for them, because the hound dog of heaven will get them. I've got an aunt. They some of you actually know them. Um, they, they planted Hope uh, Fellowship in Yuri, uh, Clifford and Ruth Taylor. So Ruth is my aunt. And uh, when you go on Ruth's prayer list, you get saved. It just happens. There was eight of us in the family, uh, her nephews and nieces that were on that prayer list. There's only one on it now. And he'll fall eventually. Because when the prayer of a righteous man or a righteous woman achieves an awful lot. So that's, a short pricey of my story, um, I don't want to use up all my time talking about, what time how much, how do I have? I've got to be at the airport at three, so we've got, we've got a bit of time. Um, moved to London, met a South African lady at an Australian party in Fulham, in London, and um, it was love at first fright. Um, she's still going, what on earth did I do to get into that? Um, we got three kids, um, 11, 10, and 6 got it right. Hopefully it's not recorded. But uh. And for the last 10 years, I've been pa- one of the pastors at a church in southwest London. Like I said, my background was Presbyterian. I found it when I became a Christian, and I'd been exposed to some charismatic stuff. Um, but it was like I was, I was struggling at the church. I was going to, it seemed weird to me to go to a rugby match on Saturday and like jump up and down and go crazy when some oversized bloke carried a bag of air across a white line and then to go to church and be like, thank you, Jesus, that you saved my soul and that I'm going to heaven and I'm so excited about that, but that excitement will never connect to my face. It just, it seemed incongruous. It just didn't seem to have any integrity. And so, more and more, I was gravitating towards churches where worship was more expressive, but not the extreme of the church that my, my girlfriend at the time was going, I thought they were basket cases, fruitcakes. It's like, what are you like? It goes on forever. You jump around the place. They wave flags around the place. I'm going, like, you are lunatics. Like, the guy who leads the church now, he says they called me the angry guy because he, he was leading worship, and he's looking at me with a face like thunder on me. He says, I thought you were about to punch me. And I was like, I was because it just went on forever. So that's, my journey's been like that. I, after three years after joining, God made me an elder in the fruitcakes. And um, now I get to lead the fruitcakes, be the head fruitcake. And it's beautiful. It's glorious. And just to get free of all my, all my like Bound up, like, oh, respectability. And I love what you, David prophesied over me. He said, like, he says, it feels weird, but I see this merry-go-round of, like, you know, and God says, you're like a merry-go-round. And I was like, yeah, that's me. It's not too serious. I can't take myself too seriously. I can't, like, oh, the kingdom's hard. No, the kingdom's fun. The kingdom of God is fun. Because it's not about me. God does stuff. And I get to just partner with him. And the more I partner with him and do what he's doing, I get to see incredible stuff. And so it's fun. So there's, there's the praise of my story. I want to speak this morning about loving kindness. The, that says in the Psalms, your loving kindness, Psalm 63, 3, your loving kindness is better than life. And you can read that and go, that's a nice verse. Well, maybe you don't read verses and go, that's a nice verse and just pass over. But I can read stuff like that and you become so familiar with it. It's like, yeah, God's loving kindness is better than life. Oh, dial back. This guy who wrote that, Said that his experience of God's love and God's kindness is better than life itself. That's not my experience. I wouldn't give up my life. I wouldn't, like, say, I'd die to know more of God's loving kindness. I kind of like my life. But that's what the psalmist says. Like, the psalmist says some wacky things. He's like, As the deer pants for water, so my soul longs after you. I can't say that with integrity. I can say, God, I want to be like that. And as I get to know more and more, that's becoming my reality. For a long time, I had to just sit and say, God, what this guy's writing, that's not my, that's not my, my reality. Before, before um, I dig in too deep into that, what I want to do is I want to ask you, what's your purpose to exist on this planet? Why are you alive? The Bible says that before the earth was created, God knew you and he formed you, specifically gifted, crafted, and made you for a specific task. What is that task? why are you here? If it's just to eat food and like, you know, go through life, have kids, put them through university and then go into a box on the ground, it's a little bit depressing. There's got to be greater purpose than that. As I said, I was brought up Presbyterian, so I learned my Westminster Confession of Faith. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's a pretty good definition it's to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. It's not supposed to be some like lemon-sucking pole face, like, I'm going to glorify God if I have to. I don't want to, but it's what the Bible says I'm supposed to do. No, no, to enjoy him forever. God's actually great fun. You know, Jesus is really funny. You talk to Jesus and let him talk to you. Some of the things he says are absolutely hilarious. I have fallen apart laughing at times. Not because the Holy Spirit has like whacked me. And like I can't. But what he said to me is so funny. I was like you can't say that. He says hilarious things. He enjoys. In God's presence is fullness of joy. In his presence is fullness of joy. That must mean he's fairly happy as well. He's comfortable in being him. So it's enjoying him. What does that glorifying look? Well that glorifying Him is revealing to the world around us who He is and what He's like. Jesus said, John 17 verse 6, Jesus said, I've revealed you to those you gave to me. Jesus perfectly revealed the Father. John 14, Jesus again said, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus. Jesus is the perfect revelation of the Father's glory. So right at the very beginning, right at the very beginning in Genesis... God said to Adam and Eve, fill the earth and subdue it. Eden was a place of intimacy with God. Eden was a place where they walked with God every day. God knelt down and breathed into them to create Adam. He took Eve out of Adam and and then he walked with them daily. And from that place of intimacy, he said to them, spread out and subdue the earth. Not like go out and batter it and take over it. No, take what you've learnt of me and and show that to the whole earth. And the whole of scripture all the way through, all the way through the Old Testament is just the outworking of that story. Abraham, come, come out and get to know me. Now I will bless you so that you become a blessing. I will bless you. I will place my name upon you. You will become a great nation. Not so that you can look around and say, hey, everybody, look at me, how magnificent I am. Look, look, look. No, no. So that you can reveal who I am to the to the world around you. Um, I just didn't have time to write this in my notes, but it says, Genesis 22, I will bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possessions of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you've obeyed me. We are blessed to be a blessing. It's not just for us. It's to release and to pass on to others. And that continues all the way through. The Israelites were supposed to be those that revealed God's glory to the nations around them. And part of the reason why it all went wrong was it's like, no, it's our God. We've got to keep him to ourselves. No, no, you're blessed to be a blessing. And Jesus came fully to reveal who the Father was so that others could see and say, I want to know him. That's what his purpose was. He came, yes, to die. He came, yes, so that we could be forgiven. But in that, it's not just about the forgiveness. It's revealing the Father, the goodness and the kindness, the mercy of who he is. And we as his church, the church, not the church, but the church universal, his body, our purpose is to reveal the Father's glory. The Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations, is just a restatement of Genesis 2. Go and fill the earth and subdue it. But it comes without the great commandment, love the Lord your God, there is no great commission. You can't do the great commission without the great commandment. It has never changed. The Bible, the theme, right from start to finish, is the same. Intimacy with God, understanding who he is, knowing him, being loved by him, and then revealing that love to others. That's why we exist. Otherwise, it's like the moment I get saved, well, shoot me. You know, this world's not amazing. There's problems here. If it's just about giving me my golden ticket to heaven, shoot, shoot me now. I'd rather be there. But I'm here for a purpose, to reveal who he is. So the people around me go, Ah, oh, that's what God looks like. I want to know him. You see, that's why you've got the Holy Spirit inside you. That's why it says, We with unveiled faces, as we gaze upon him, are being transformed into his likeness. You're being transformed to look like Jesus. The most human, the most you, you can ever be is the more you look like Jesus. And you're being transformed. And as we worship him, as we gaze upon him, the veil has been removed. As we gaze upon him, go, oh, that's what he's like. I want to be like him. It's just like a kid going, I want to be like my dad. I wore caps all the time as a small kid. My mother was horrified. I used to even wear it to school. And there was trauma if my cap couldn't be found. Why did I wear a cap? Because my dad wore a cap. My grandfather wore a cap. All farmers wore caps back then. It's like, what you do? So I wanted to be like my dad. I wore a cap. And kids who've got good fathers, they want to be like their dad. And as we get to know our father, it's not like, oh, I've got to do this. No, I just want to be like my dad. I want to show the world who he is. If my purpose on earth is to reveal who the father is, then obviously it's very important that I know who he is so that I can reveal him correctly. I don't want to be revealing a distorted view of who God is. And unfortunately, we don't have to look far around our nation or many other nations to see a very distorted view of who God is. And that's why most of the guys that I went to university with, they don't want to know. When I talk, when they, like in England, when somebody says, what do I do and I say I'm a pastor, they like look at me strange and go, oh, what? First they say, are you a plasterer? Because they assume if I'm Irish, it must be something to do with the building trade. And then when it's <laughs> so no, no, not a plasterer, a pastor. And I was like, how did you get into that? And I get to tell my story, and I have an amazing conversations. When I go home and I meet with my mates that went to university, as soon as I say something to do, with, to do with, like, that I work for a church, boom, conversation finished. Don't want to know. Because the God that they've been, that's been shown to them is not the God that's in the Bible. And so they're just going, don't want to know about that. So let's look at one aspect. And, like, there's so many facets to God we will spend the rest of eternity, it's not even the rest of our lives, the rest of eternity looking at who he is, getting to know who he is and being blown away. Like for the next 100 million years, we're going to be looking at facets of God's character and go, wow, that is incredible. Wow, I love you so much. You are so amazing. But I just want to look at this one aspect called God's loving kindness. So it says in Psalm 63 verse 3, your loving kindness is better than life. Now, I did a little word study on this. I get, a li- I get my geek on every so often with them. Um, you sort of click on the references on what a word means and you get the trail of like, all the similar all the words that have the same root because the Hebrew language, it's not a broad language. It's a deep language and you can get words that can have 20 different meanings. And the root of this loving kindness word is chesed. Uh, forgive me if there's any Hebrew scholars here and I've got the pronunciation horrible, but that's what it looks like. Well, it technically looks like, looks like cheesed, but I'm told it's pronounced chesed. And it's translated in quite a number of different ways that I want to look at. It's used 241 times in the Old Testament, this word chesed, which can be translated as loving kindness. 127 times in the Psalms alone. But as part of that, I want you to hear this this verse. Psalm 139, 17 and 18 says, How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. So God is constantly thinking about you. His thoughts about you are more numerous than the sand on the shore. All the time, he's thinking about you. I want you to think for a second. How does that make you feel? does it make you th- feel that God is constantly thinking thoughts about you? For some of us, that's, oh, that's amazing. For some of the rest of you, might oh, I'm not so keen on that. What sort of thoughts is he thinking about me? Are they good thoughts? Are they bad thoughts? Are they happy thoughts? Are they grumpy thoughts? How does he think about me? Is he embarrassed? Is it awkward? I felt there's people this morning that God wants to set free of a number of things. And in this area, for some people that feel like God's too busy with other people, there's other people who are more important to him. There's other people that, you know, there's guys that are in ministry. God thinks about them, but he doesn't think about me. Or there's guys that, like, really walk close to God, so he thinks a lot about them, but he doesn't think about me. No, no, the truth, what the Bible says is, God thinks more thoughts about you than there's sand on the shore. His head is filled with thoughts about you all of the time. So if you felt like God's forgotten about me, if you felt like God doesn't care about me, if you felt like God's too busy or too distracted, thinking about other people, he doesn't have time to think about me, I'm going to tell you that's a lie from the enemy. And just by recognizing that it's a lie from the enemy, and going, I don't believe that anymore. I repent, I change my mind of believing a lie about who God is. We walk free of it. God's thinking about me all the time. Every minute of every day, he's thinking about me. He's not more impressed with somebody else. Well, like I said, what thoughts is he filling his head with about me? What thoughts is he thinking about me? Well, if you've put your trust in Jesus, the Bible says that you're a new creation. You've been adopted into God's family and you've been given Jesus' spotless righteousness. Your old nature is gone, completely gone, and you've been given Jesus' righteousness. So when Jesus... When the Father looks at you, he sees Jesus. When he looks at me, he sees Jesus. When he looks at my life, he sees Jesus' righteousness. He sees spotless, perfect righteousness. That's what he chooses to see because I have put on Christ's righteousness. I've been given that. And so he loves me the same as he loves Jesus. He loves you as much as he loves Jesus. Because I have been united with Christ. I'm one with him. You are one with him. So he loves me the same. So he's not thinking grumpy thoughts about me. He's not disappointed going, oh, no, they've done that again. Oh. He doesn't get impatient. He doesn't roll his eyes. He doesn't go like, oh, man, if I could just, like, hit them a little clip around the ear, it would all be okay. No, he is thinking lovingly kind thoughts about you all the time because that's who he is. And he treats you and he treats me. As a factor as a virtue of who he is, not how we see ourselves. He treats you and he treats me as how he declares you to be. And he's declared that you and I have been given Jesus' spotless righteousness. So he treats us like that. Even though you come and live in my house for a couple of hours, you realize that I don't always exhibit Jesus as spotless righteousness. But the Father treats me by who he says I am. So let's look at this loving kindness what God's character towards us is. What I've done is I've started copying all the verses in the Old Testament that are this root, this root word chesed, copying them out in the New Living Translation, the New King James and the NIV, and just looking at all the different ways that it's translated. Because I want to like, mind the depths of what this word means. The first one, the most common one, is God's mercy. Mercy means... That he has compassion or forgiveness towards somebody with whom it's in his power to punish or to harm. It's within God's power just to obliterate us all. He would be right to do it. But it's not his nature. His nature is merciful. He is looking for reasons to forgive us. He is looking for reasons to not make us have to pay- face the consequences of what he's done. He's not like going, oh, flip, they got away with it again. Oh, because of Jesus. Jesus is standing pleading, I've got to let them off. He's not the angry God that's sitting up there looking for reasons to smite us. It's a distortion of his character. He's the loving God who is merciful, who is looking for reasons to to let us off the consequences of what we've done. It's what his nature is. Mercy is letting you off the bad that you deserve. Grace is giving you the good that you don't deserve. Mercy is letting you off the bad that you do deserve. God is merciful. gets translated as his unfailing love. God's love never, ever fails. It never runs out. It never gets, there's never something that's too big or too bad or too broken or too messed up for God's love to break in. No matter what situation you are in, no matter how messed up it is, no matter how broken you've been or still are, God's love is enough because it never fails. His favor, something done or granted out of goodwill rather than from justice or for remuneration. In other words, God just randomly does good to us because he likes to. What an incredible dad. He just randomly, random acts of kindness because he likes to, because it's who he is. Oh, let me do some good to them. Not because he gets anything back out of it. It's just because it's who he is. is also an act of kindness beyond what is due or usual. So he's not just doing like the, okay, there you go, there you go. No, no, let me bless them. Let me go way beyond. Let me blow their socks off by doing something totally out of the ordinary, by showing them how much I love them. His kindness is the quality of being friendly, generous, and considerate, and to go out of your way to do good to somebody, to show them that they care. God goes out of his way. And you think you break it down, giving your own son up, is the ultimate in going out of, his, out, of, out of your way. But he still does it on a daily basis. God wasn't lovingly kind when he sent Jesus and now he's forgotten about you, forgotten about me. No, on a daily basis, he goes out of his way to do good things for us, to be kind, to show us how he cares. He has pity, the feeling of sorrow and compassion caused by the sufferings and misfortunes of others. If you've been through pain, God feels that pain. He's not going, oh, well, your fault. You know, sometimes pain is our fault. Sometimes it's not our fault. Either way, he has pity for us. He's not going, well, you got yourself in that situation. A girl came to me one day in our church, and basically she had met a guy in a bar. She was like, I struck up a conversation with him. And then in a moment of, she would say weakness, she gave the guy her number. And then she discovered that she had a stalker, and she had to get the police to actually tell the guy to stop harassing her and following her everywhere. And she's sitting in my office, and she's crying, and she goes, well, it's my own fault anyway. Like, I I deserve it, because I gave him my number. I was like, oh, you believe in karma? And she's like, what? I was like, that's karma. I thought you were a Christian. Why do you believe in karma? And she's like, uh... I don't believe in karma. This is what well, you did. You said you did something wrong and now you're reaping now you're now you're getting what you deserve out of it. That's karma. Now the Bible talks about sowing and reaping, but it's different from karma. And my God pities me and wants to help me when I get myself in difficult situations. He doesn't just go, Your mess, you tidy it up. That's not what pity looks like. I'm nearly done. He has tenderness. Tenderness is sensitivity to pain so he understands what it feels like the pain that we go through and his goodness he desires he desires to see us prosper we say prosper we all think oh money in my bank account it's a very small definition of prosperity i believe in a prosperity gospel but it's a whole lot bigger than money in my bank account it's a whole lot bigger than i get rich and i stay healthy it's a prosperous soul and you look at the word shalom and what it actually means. There's about 20 words go into that. It's wholeness, it's completeness, it's paid for. It's, all, it's a whole load of things. It's relational integrity, it's the ability to meet all your obligations. It's a whole load of things like that. That's what prosperity, that's what God's prosperity looks like. That's what God's loving kindness is. And that's, as we experience that, we can begin to reveal that to the world around us. You, the clip that you put up on um, on the Facebook page about about what we did, we had a homeless couple, and one of the guys in the church met them, went around the corner from the church building one day and saw this couple sitting under a duvet begging on the street and uh, got chatting to them, and it turned out that they were engaged, but they couldn't afford to get married. They were living in a tent in the in the park in Kingston. So he said to me, well, could we put a wedding on for them? I was like, yeah, let's do it. Now, the BBC interviews, is like, why on earth would you do this? You've put a couple of thousand pounds into, you know, putting on a wedding for this, and that's probably a quarter of what was put in. Like, the florist gave his time and all the flowers for free. The makeup artist did it all for free. The hairdresser did it for free. The chef did it for free. We just paid for the food. So only things we paid for were, like, the wedding dress, the bridesmaids dress, the the, the higher the suits, and a few other things like that. The rest of it was all... And the BBC are going, like... Why would you do that? Because we believe in a God who loves people and is kind to them and so we want to demonstrate it to others. But you've got to experience it yourself. You can't give away what you don't have. If you haven't experienced God's loving kindness you're not going to be able to give it away. So we need to just push into Him and go, God, I want to know it in my life. Let me reveal to me what your loving kindness looks like. I'm going to give you just a couple of little steps. I'm going to be Done in about three, three minutes. A couple of little steps. God's challenged me on this to think lovingly kind thoughts about other people. So when I'm sitting on the train sometimes, he'll just go, think lovingly kind thoughts about that, pe- that person. Now, I discovered as I tried to do it that actually my default's not to do that. I'm probably just criticizing them in my head or ignoring them. But he's not, think lovingly kind thoughts about them. So I'm going, what, just random ones? yeah. You don't have to tell them what you think. Just think lovingly kind thoughts about them. As I think lovingly kind thoughts about them, he goes, now you're starting to think about them the way I do. Oh. And then as I start to think lovingly kind thoughts about them, now I actually find I want good things to happen to them. So actually I want them to know about Jesus. So instead of me sitting on the train going, I should really talk to this person about Jesus. I should really do it, but I don't want to do it. I'd rather just read my newspaper Ah, yes, my stop, right, I'm off the train, got out of that one. Being honest, that's what it's like sometimes. Suddenly it's like, ah, what an incredible person. I want them to know Jesus. I want them to know the same loving kindness as I've experienced. I don't want them to go through this life, never mind the next life. I want them in this life to know the goodness that I've come to experience. And then I'm going to suggest... That if you don't think kind thoughts about people, the chances are you're not going to have kind actions towards people. Because thoughts lead to actions, not the other way around. And so if you're going, you know, I don't tend to like do kind actions towards people. I'm going to suggest you start with thinking kind thoughts, even if they're random. Even if they're random, you'll find God begins to do stuff in you. And then he begins to give you his thoughts for them. So from going from just thoughts you're making up, he begins to like, Go, now I can can work with that. And he begins to speak his thoughts. And next thing you find, you develop a deep love for people. And here's something that may bend your boat a little bit. You Google loving kindness and you'll find a whole lot of stuff about loving kindness meditation and all this sort of stuff. Now it's got roots in Eastern stuff like that. You don't have to get into that. But there's scientific evidence that shows that it makes you healthier when you think lovingly kind thoughts about people. Because when you think God's way, We're holistic beings. When when your mind is filled with God's thoughts, your body begins to become become more like his. Not that he has a physical body, but you become more like him. You become prosperous in your health. I'm not saying that somebody's not healthy, isn't thinking good thoughts, don't put an equal sign where I didn't put it, but I tell you, there is medical evidence that says when we begin to think like this and make a practice of thinking like this, you actually become healthier because we're thinking God's way. So I want to throw you a challenge for this week. When you're sitting in a random place, it's easy to do about your family. Sitting in a coffee shop, sitting on the train, sitting in a traffic jam, rather than going, this numpty's just cut me up, or like, you know, when's he going to move? Why is he driving so slow? I'm in a hurry. You know, you're stuck at 25-mile-an-hour behind like a Sunday driver, and you're like, I'm in a hurry. Rather than thinking, consciously take the effort. Thank you, Jesus, for that person. Thank you for how you've made them. Begin to think lovingly kind thoughts about them. You'll see your heart begins to change. And as your heart changes, you'll find that actions follow them. That's it, I'm done. Can I pray for, can I pray for us? Holy Spirit, were there any of us who feel like God has forgotten us? that he doesn't care, that he's too busy with other things. Can you just begin to minister to those hearts now? Just speak your truth into those situations. And if that's you, all you've got to do is say, Jesus, I recognize that's not the truth. I repent of believing that lie. Will you come and pour your loving kindness into my heart? Holy Spirit, if there's any of us that don't like the idea of Father thinking about us all the time, where we've carried shame, or we've carried guilt, or we've carried hurt, or we've carried indifference, where life has taught us that father figures are too busy and too distracted and they've got better things to think about? Just break that line now in Jesus' name. Our Father in heaven is filling his mind with loving, kind thoughts about us. And we want to reveal that Father to the world around us. Thank you for your blessing on this this community, this family. Thank you for your favor on them. Let your loving kindness, your mercy, your goodness, your pity, all of your goodness rest on them. In Jesus' name, amen.